Entertainment's podcast from Bottom Line Technologies. You know, when the CFO of a manufacturing company is able to automate their supplier payments on time in the middle of a supply chain crisis like we're seeing right now, it's not just the technology that should get the credit. It's the user experience. And when a treasurer is able to quickly access data on a bank's affluent customers for a meeting that day, the analytics are important. But again, it's the user experience and design that enables that data to be accessible and actionable. With digital banking presenting a new customer journey and fintechs basing an entire business model on user experience, which we'll call UX, technology and process design is an underrated star in the payments show. It deserves more attention and credit, especially as data continues to become the energy source for the financial industry. Hi, I'm John Gaffney. I'll be hosting today's payments podcast on user experience and technology design. I have the pleasure of being joined by Brian McLaughlin, uh, who is the chief experience officer for Bottom Line and the person who leads product innovation and user experience teams here to deliver best-in-class customer experience across the company suite of leading SaaS-based business payment solution. Brian, welcome. Oh, thank you. That was quite an introduction. And by the way, I agree with everything you just said. And and, and I'm not done. I know your career oh. is centered on, <laughs> on, on designing and, and building customer and, and user-centric uh, mobile as well as web-based applica- applications. So, you know, Let's get right to it because I, I know you're very passionate about the topics uh, that we're about to get into. So tell us first how your work would manifest itself in the day-to-day operations at Bottom Line. What what does your team do? And give me a good example of how one of your favorite projects showed up on Bottom Line. Sure. Uh, I'm responsible for all the UX and UX can be divided or defined in many different ways. Uh, here at Bottom Line, it incorporates uh, everything from the discovery, which is the u- user experience research, as well as the visual design, interaction design. But I also have responsibility for the UI development. And the reason we do it this way is so that there is not a gap between what's designed and what comes out, uh, which is common. It's a common problem everywhere. It's not just in the financial institution. It's a pretty common uh, issue to have. Uh, but I'm also responsible for the creative teams, which are the non-product facing teams. And uh, they deal with, um, well, I'll get into that in just a second, and as well as mobile and some other innovation groups that we've had here at Bottom Line. And the reason that it's put together this way is so that there is a holistic experience for customers that are being stitched together. So that way, every if you go to the website or you come into one of our offices or you receive one of our marketing assets all the way through the product experience to the support experience to um, uh, if you want to grow and scale with us, all of these different touch points that customers have. So basically every interaction or every touch point, there's an experience uh, that is part of one of my groups and, and they're laying that in. Now, I, I also understand, Brian, that... It, you're not satisfied with your team just knowing about UX. You want them to know the business. Yeah, that that's a critical factor, and it's something that's often overlooked. Uh, a lot of times, um, UX designers specifically are, are thought of as, oh, you bring these people in and you plop them down and you give them some some canvas or whatever the heck those guys use, and and out comes some nice work. Yeah, that can happen, but. Usually the, the folks that have the most success are ones that understand the business they're part of. Uh, I mean, just 
for my own personal careers, I've done everything from funeral home design to, uh, and by the way, I don't mean the actual design of the funeral homes, but the, the digital systems that supported them back when all that was becoming digitized, uh, coffee systems, like everything. So each time, each stop along my own personal career was, but what does this business do? And that's very common. And then in our world, in the fintech world, it's even more uh, stressed because you end up with these layers of compliance and security and, and uh, interesting complex behaviors that happen within finance teams. So the more that a UX person understands about the end customer, but also the business that you're in, uh, is just that much more helpful because that way when you're designing the systems, it's much more fit into the area. It would be no good if I if I brought too much of my funeral home experience into the business into the business payment space because there's not a whole lot of overlap other than people click on things. <laughs> so that's interesting. So Brian, how if if you're at if you're at a board meeting or or you're at some kind of external meeting, how do you break this down for an executive that's maybe in marketing or the CEO? How do you break down what you do for a living and how it affects their team? I know you have a great example about how the doors are designed in, uh, in our home office. <laughs> yeah, in our Portsmouth office, we, we have renovated over, uh, there are several floors in the office and we've renovated over time. Uh, for continuity's sake, the doors look the same. So if it's a door that you enter a meeting room or a door that you enter somebody's office or a door you enter you know, from one wing into another wing, uh, the door shape uh, and it's called a Fordens, but we won't get into that fancy UX phrase, but essentially they look like they would operate the same. Uh, my floor happened to have been done a couple of years before one of the later floors. Uh, so it's imagine a glass door, a vertical steel bar uh, for which on my floor, you grab the steel bar and you slide it. Uh, on the other floor, you grab the steel bar and you push it. So I have many people show up in my office, they go to push the door and they end up kind of leaving a nose mark on the glass of my door. So, so the reason I just kind of point that out is Design is more than just what it looks like. It's how something actually works. Uh, so that is, as a overall UX designer, we're always thinking about there's an aesthetic quality to it, but equally or more important is how does it actually function? Are people going to understand it? Are they going to understand it the first time, the second time, the third time? Are they going to understand if I use it once for, versus I use it every second of every day? So all those things come into play. And then, so when I talk to executives or other people outside the company, I generally use non-digital product examples because we encounter design work in everything we do. Uh, so I, so wherever we happen to be, I'm, you know, I'll, every. I've talked about pencil sharpeners, the doors, to how the lights work in the room, about automated switches or not automated switches. We're just surrounded by it. And generally, the best the best design is not even noticeable because it's so well done. So we all as humans interact with this. So whether you're an executive or, or anybody in a company, there's always something you're encountering. And it's, the idea is to bring it back to that. And somebody, that's a purposely designed thing. It didn't happen by accident. Well said. So, Brian, why is this particularly important in the financial services business, in your opinion? Yeah, the financial services business, uh, there's so many different ways to look at it in, in terms of user experience because it is everybody interacts with it. 
It tends to be a very complicated world. Uh, we have not done it any favors over the years because we've tended to make it more complicated as the kind of the old jokes go is if banks have been around for 500 years, we've found out 500 different years worth of different things we can do in it. Uh, so then you try to push that on everybody and not everybody gets that. Uh, so in the financial world, it's really important because it's so critical to people's lives. But also, if it's if it's ill-conceived or it goes astray, uh, it can have some pretty big negative effects. Uh, you could leave out marginalized groups. You can you in, can include groups that when you need to, and it could be as easy as a wording mistake or a workflow mistake. And you know, like if you lose a customer there, they're likely not coming back. So, just the fact that the financial services business is intertwined with our lives, and it's generally been seen as, oh, it's complicated because it needs to be complicated. It doesn't need to be complicated. It just has been complicated. And, and I think it's, you know, we talked about how you would describe your job to a, a you know a CEO or somebody outside your space. I'm going to bet that a lot of executives also don't understand the intersection between user experience and the customer experience, because if it's broken, you alienated a customer, correct? Yes, yes, yeah, exactly. Um, this uh, it's hard to under underestimate or underappreciate how much the user experience drives the business either up or sideways or down. Uh, and particularly now, and by now, I mean, I don't know, over the last, 10, 20 years, this is not a new phenomenon anymore. It's It's been well discovered outside of the financial institutions that even starting probably about 10 years ago, financial institutions started realizing how much an important role this played because they realized this is a significant differentiator for us. Uh, and through that, and because of that, that kind of end user, end customer empathy, when you start designing for that, it really does, um, it does grow the business. There's no doubt about it. There's a strong correlation between every company that's embraced UX, uh, UX at a very deep and cultural, like at a DNA level, and the um, the continued growth of that company and those that don't. Particularly old legacy companies, which many financial institutions are, uh, if, if it's not embraced and embraced fully, uh, and not just window dressing, but actually fully embraced of what it means culturally, uh, they tend to stagnate. Interesting. You know, I found myself um, when we were prepping for this call, um, I'm guilty of of a lot of things that do not tip their hat to what you guys do for <laughs> you guys do for a living. Because we talk about customer journeys, we talk about cash life cycles, we talked about product roadmaps. Now a lot of those things depend on the user experience and not just automatic journeys, right? So do you do you think that UX gets enough credit for as being the foundation of some of those things? Um, yeah, it's probably misunderstood where a lot of that comes from, how it originated, and and more importantly, why it originated. And it's uh, so. While I would love to say that UX, you know, invented everything from water to air to every other necessity that we have. Uh, a lot of these constructs did come out of early day UX work. And by early day, I mean decades and decades ago. Uh, there's phrases like design thinking that many, many folks understand and embrace. That, that actually started because um, a 
group, uh, I can name this, a group called IDEO, uh, essentially took what creative teams have been doing for decades and they systematized it. And they just th thought, oh, well, creative teams just naturally do this. It's just part of the way they interact with each other. It's part of the way they discover. It's part of the way that they solve problems. Others can benefit from this. Uh, so what, what I have found to be critical is that as companies adopt these various things, that they don't become checkboxes like, okay, well, we did that. So therefore, we're smart. It's like, well, maybe not so much. Uh, I mean, just because uh, a group of people understand or even know the the words or could have even gone to like a weekend workshop, really understanding the purpose that they serve and the bigger and the bigger stream of things is is super critical to to making sure that they're valuable. Um, the, the learnings that you get out of it and the prototyping work that you do is 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 uh, really valuable and it's it is offset by the time that you spent putting in those various practices to begin with. Okay, interesting. So let's flip, let's flip the script a little bit. How would I know if I am uh, an executive at, at Bottom Line or, or, or any of the big banks or any of the big corporates we deal with? How do you know your UX is broken? What are some of the things that show up? Yeah, I'll probably, I'll start at a slightly different place than most people would think is, um, what I do is I look, I kind of look and listen and hear to see is there a hint of UX in the organization uh, or is something broken? Now, what I mean by that is I don't go look at stuff like, oh, where's the screen? What I'll do is look at things like, um, are they using personas and if so, how? Do they understand where they came from and what they're doing with it? Uh, uh, are there UX people speaking up? in a meeting? Are the UX people that are that are sharing and communicating what they've learned? Uh, that, that to me kind of shows how embedded UX is within an organization. And if their voice isn't being heard because they're, it's either consciously being stifled or their work is not getting out or whatever, then usually that's, that's one major sign that something's broken. Uh, and then there's the obvious of, um, you know the work. The work doesn't look very good. I mean, that's probably the more obvious one. It's like, well, that doesn't seem very. A lot of people use the words of, it doesn't look modern. It, you know, it's not very wow. You know, those those types of things. Primarily, that those phrases get used because people struggle to identify what it is that they just kind of know is not there. And then there's the more obvious things about um, uh, engagement metrics. You can. The wonderful thing, one of the wonderful things about digital products is you can track them. Are there actually more people using them? Where do they fall off? Uh, did they complete tasks? Did they not complete tasks? How frequently are they using them? Is that the frequency that we expected? All those types of things. So some are cultural and some are actual measurable. Uh, it's the softer ones, the cultural aspects that ultimately end up being a much bigger play in how an organization grows over time. You know, we talked about the fact that you think it's important that your team understand the overall business. Now, on the flip side, how do you get executives outside your division to be interested in user experience? Do you have any tricks there? Uh, uh, well, I spend a lot of time with them. Uh, so the... Um... We've done a, a variety of different things at Bottom Line. I've done a variety of different things you know, throughout my career, which is essentially just, it's a lot of education. Um, 
is uh, uh, I've been known to walking through an airport with one of my fellow executives be pointing out things like, huh, did you ever notice why, you know, and just kind of go about it. My poor son has had to grow up with me as a father who pointed out every little thing during his life and he would just roll his eyes. So I didn't quite go to that level with my fellow executives, but it's the same thing. I think for the most part, it's just pointing out when things are well done, because generally what happens over a fairly short amount of time is I have people coming back to me calling out, hey, I saw this, you know, I don't, I saw this light switch, it didn't work very well, or I saw this, it's not, it's not well designed, or, you know, I just figured out that now I know why the door, you know, in our kitchen opens up and, and then you can't open the dishwasher or something, you know, so it, like once people are tuned into it, it's hard to tune it back out. Uh, so a lot of times in terms of just getting other senior level people to, to kind of see it and understand it is to just kind of walk through it and start pointing it out how it's surrounded by good and bad design that surrounds us all the time. So it, you know, it also interests me that, um, or it struck me that if the UX side knows the business side and the business side knows the UX side, there's a lot of confidence that gets generated there on a daily basis, correct? Yeah, no, absolutely. Because that's that is probably one of the bigger hurdles that I've seen is is more traditional business leaders getting confidence that design leadership also is working towards the same goal. Because sometimes it, uh, a design leader may come at it slightly differently, and it just takes a little time for uh, that confidence and trust to get built. So some of it is just simply, hey, let me just do great work. We'll get more customers. Um, uh, customer delight will go up. All those things will continue to improve. Therefore, the the overall business leader starts to see, oh yes, I see it's working, it's working, it's working. So there's a trust on that factor, and then there's a that starts to kind of lead into the uh, the trust factor of, oh, so when that design leader opens his, he or she opens their mouth about something, that's an interesting perspective we hadn't really thought about before. Uh, and for whatever reason, they tend to go side by side. What I, what I tend to coach design leaders is build the confidence first by just doing great work. And then based on that, become more included in the decision-making process by just proving that not only do you do great work on the on just getting things out the door, but also your approach is uh, is a very interesting approach. You know, start communicating out. These are things we learn by talking and spending a lot of time with customers uh, and really truly empathizing with them. And not just from a requirement standpoint, but of, oh, you know, the way these people actually go about their work is this. There's an opportunity here for us because it's just a pain point across everybody. So yeah, that trust gets built both um, both by producing the work and then just really kind of showing that you understand the business and, and are working towards the same goal. So we would, uh, we would not be doing our job if we talked about the relationship of user experience to fintech, especially a lot of the startups. I mean, you know, on the mobile side, especially, they've based their entire business model on the user experience. Do you think um, any legacy companies or big banks can learn something from that? The reason fintechs exist is because uh, most larger financial institutions have not done a particularly stellar job from a user experience perspective. And, and anybody that's listening to this that has experience in the fintech world gets it. Like where, where a lot of fintechs will focus on is essentially what, what technical capabilities exist that have a really terrible experience uh, side to it. Um, 
one classic example, I mean, we can talk about quite a few new ones, but one that's actually not that new anymore is a company Square, which most people are going to be familiar with. Essentially, they looked at the credit card uh, industry and uh, for small businesses, and they decided this is just way too complicated. Uh, now, I have also spent time in the transactional processing world, and I can I can raise my hand and vote for the fact that, yes, it was way, way too complicated. Um, so if you're a small business and you want to take credit cards, it was it, it was such a painful process. Square just found it, decided this doesn't need to be this hard. They created a whole experience layer over top of it. And you know we all know the results of that company. They're doing quite well. Uh, so that is just one example. But that's this is a constant refrain, particularly nowadays that technology has advanced with APIs and SDKs and all these other technological advancements. It really is a matter of of creating a unique experience layer, and that's where fintechs are going uh, and having getting good traction. What they run up against is getting the relationships built that that are required to have a, a truly strong business around it. So that's where uh, the kind of traditional uh, the traditional financial institutions have a leg up because they have really deep relationships. Uh, that is starting to turn a little bit, though, in terms of uh, customer acquisition. But I mean, it's a classic innovator innovators dilemma. You know, for those that have read that, there's a yeah, I mean, it's a classic tale of uh, you get to a certain point, your innovation slows down. Somebody comes in, can innovate faster because they're starting where you have just left off and they continue up that arc. Um, so it is the fintech world is ripe for this, this type of thing. There are a couple of markets, but fintech right now, I think, is probably one of the stronger markets. And we start to see that in the news about uh, you know, government regulation or non-government regulation. I mean, the fact that it's gotten to that level really shows these fintechs have done a really nice job edging into this world. And it's and primarily it's been spent on what just making a much better user experience layer. Brian, last question. Um, I'm sure you don't feel like we've, we're done innovating with user experience, but tell us how you bring that to work. How do you bring that innovative spirit to work and your team? We do. Uh, uh, that's a good question. We do a number of things, uh, one of which is we spend a fair amount of time not looking at the fintech world. Uh, we try to look outside the fintech world because um, Everything's connected, right? So uh, this will seem like an odd one, but there's a. We try to boil things down to some of the abstract layers. So, for example, uh, dating sites have done a great job of figuring out how to build relationships between two entities that don't know each other. Well, at an abstract level, there's a lot that happens in the payments world: invoices to payments, and you know, uh, security and payments. There's all kinds of relationships there that you're trying to, that you're trying to reconcile. So we we do some experimentation. We certainly look out in the world to see what else is going on. Um, it, it's it that is also part of from my perspective. That's part of the fun of the of design people and UX people is that level of curiosity of hey, what's another way we can do this? And then it tends to feed off of each other. We we even do workshops where we'll do these creative challenges where. You have to try to come up with as many different ideas in a very short amount of time as possible. And it just gets like silly. But by the time you're done, that last one that seemed really silly, suddenly everybody's going, hmm, that's actually a really interesting way to approach it. Uh, so there's a bunch of things that you can do. That's you know, just to kind of emphasize that last point. 
this is not a, uh, hey, you're either born with it or not born with it. Like anything else, it's a skill that you can develop. Uh, and there are exercises you can do to get better at it. So we, we certainly try to do those too. But a lot of it's based on have fun with it. Because when people are having fun with it, they tend to be more creative and then more things come out of it. And then, of course, we have to marry that up against the regulatory and compliance world of fintech. But uh, that's also part of the challenge. Okay. That's some some serious design thinking there, and I want to thank you for that. So that's today's Payments Podcast with Brian McLaughlin, who is the Chief Experience Officer at Bottom Line. Brian, thank you so much for joining us and talking about technology-driven business payments innovation. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Podcast from Bottom Line Technologies.